You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Darkside says it's feeling the heat and is going out of business, but some of its affiliates are still out and active, for now at least. A popular hackers forum says it will no longer accept ransomware ads. The bash loader supply chain compromise afflicts another known victim. Colonial Pipeline resumes delivery of fuel. Irresponsible disclosure of vulnerabilities hands attackers a big advantage. Carol Terrio looks at NFTs. Joe Kerrigan wonders about the return on your ransomware payment investment. And there's a lot of Amazon-themed vishing going on. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, May 14th, 2021. The Wall Street Journal late this morning broke the story, which they sourced to security firm FireEye, a company whom Colonial Pipeline has brought in to deal with the ransomware attack it sustained, that the Darkside Ransomware as a Service gang has told its affiliates that it intends to shutter its operations. The criminals said they'd lost access to their infrastructure and that they were under pressure from U.S. law enforcement. Forcepoint researchers who've been reading Darkside stuff on the dark web say the gang complained that it had lost its blog, its payment servers, and its DOS servers. They also said that funds in their payment servers, both theirs and their customers, had been extracted and sent to parts unknown. So it seemed a good time to call it quits. How seriously this exit should be taken remains to be seen. Other ransomware gangs have disbanded under pressure before, only to reconstitute themselves later, perhaps under a different name. Whatever Darkseid's actual plans may be, and even as the Colonial Pipeline resumes deliveries interrupted by ransomware, and we'll hear more on that shortly, Darkseid affiliates continue to inflict their ransomware on other targets. The Colonial Pipeline incident is merely the highest-profile disruptive attack, Kyoto reports that the group has claimed the exfiltration of some 740 gigabytes of sensitive information from Toshiba's operations in France. Toshiba has acknowledged that a European subsidiary was hit by a cyber attack. 
And Bleeping Computer has confirmed that Darkseid also claims to have hit Essen-headquartered chemical distributor Brentag. The gang says Brentag paid them the equivalent of $4.4 million in cryptocurrency two days ago, an amount negotiated down from Darkseid's original demand of $7.7 million. As ransomware-as-a-service offerings play a more prominent role in the criminal underground economy, the record reports that one popular hacking forum, XSS, formerly known as Damajalab, has announced it will no longer accept advertising for ransomware services. The site's admin posted a note yesterday to the effect that lockers, ransomware, have accumulated a critical mass of nonsense, BS, hype, noise. As has been the case with other fora in the past, XSS's firm resolution to sin no more may have been prompted by a kind of near-death or at least near-prosecution experience. As the record puts it, quote, However, even before those talks could take place, the message appears to have registered loud and clear. In a message today, the XSS admin team decided to avoid unwanted scrutiny, claiming that their forum's main purpose was always knowledge and not to serve as a marketplace for criminal gangs. Their decision might have been hastened by the fact that the Darkside Ransomware Gang ran an ad for its affiliate program on the XSS forum, together with all the major ransomware operations, such as R-Evil, NetWalker, Gandcrab, Avedon, and many others. End quote. So, hey, it's a quest for knowledge, not the aiding and abetting of criminal enterprises. That's the ticket, and good for XSS. Researchers at security firm Forcepoint have taken a closer look at XSS. The forum's proprietors appear to have felt that Moscow was getting ready to hang them out to dry. Forcepoint provides this translation from the admin's posts. Peskov, that is Russian President Putin's press secretary, is forced to make excuses in front of our overseas friends, which would be you, Mr. and Mrs. United States, adding, this is a bit too much. The admin linked to an article in Kommersant, a Russian news site that ran under the title, Russia has nothing to do with hacking attacks on a pipeline in the United States. So the forum isn't feeling the love right now. Sometimes guilty knowledge comes with a wink, and sometimes not. XSS is not seeing a wink. The Code Cove bash loader supply chain compromise has affected another victim, Rapid7 disclosed yesterday that a small subset of their source code repositories for internal tooling for their MDR service was accessed by an unauthorized party outside of Rapid7. The company emphasizes that the incident has now been contained and that in any case they haven't used CodeCove on any CI server employed for product code. Colonial Pipeline reported yesterday afternoon that it had resumed delivering product through its lines to all the markets it serves. That said, it's expected to be several days until service returns to normal, and some customers may experience intermittent disruption while Colonial brings its service back. More outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, are reporting that Colonial Pipeline paid almost $5 million in ransom within hours of being contacted by the dark side criminals. That, however, may have done little good, as the decryption tools are said to have proven inadequate to their promised task of restoration, and the company seems to have worked from its own backups to resume deliveries. That's bad news in some sense for everyone. Colonial is out five million bucks. Other organizations, the New York Times notes, 
are chagrined by the fuel the payment poured into the bandit economy. And, as Joseph Cox tweets, the hoods themselves will find it difficult to make their case for payment in future attacks. If the decryptors are less than fully successful, why throw good money after bad? The Voice of America reports that U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas promised Congress a whole-of-government response to the incident. Darkseid is generally believed to operate from Russia. So was the Russian government behind the ransomware attack? According to an AFP report published in Security Week, when he was asked during a media availability whether President Putin or his government were aware of the attack, U.S. President Biden said, quote, I am confident that I read the report of the FBI accurately, and they say they were not, he was not, the government was not. We do not believe, I emphasize, that the Russian government was involved in this attack. But we do have strong reason to believe that the criminals who did the attack are living in Russia. That's where it came from. End quote. President Biden did say that he thought the issue of Russian control over criminal groups operating from its territory would probably come up during this summer's Russo-American summit talks. An official disavowal of belief of direct Kremlin involvement may be motivated by the way the incident looks like deniable sabotage. The Russian government has used fronts, cutouts, and contractors before, and one of the responsibilities of sovereignty is preventing attacks on other nations by people operating from one's territory. And if there were mark and reprisal in cyberspace— it might well look a lot like a ransomware attack. The government sees its adversaries disrupted, and the cyber privateers get, in this case, about $5 million in altcoin. CNBC offers an example of this kind of speculation, which we emphasize is exactly that, speculation, but plausible speculation. The Global Times, a Chinese government-aligned media outlet founded in 2009 to counter the designed provocation that is common in Western media's China reportage frames the ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline as blowback for American aggression in cyberspace. That's one way of looking at it. Speculation, but tendentious speculation. Attention vulnerability researchers. Here's a reason for responsible disclosure. A study by Kenna Security finds that white hats who publish exploits before patches are available are handing a big advantage to attackers, one that amounts to a 90-day head start over the defenders. And finally, has a robocall recently told you it was from Amazon and asked you to press 1 to resolve suspicious activity in your account? You know, the kind of call that gives you that suspicious bloop sound when the robot hands you over to the crooked human operator? You're not alone. Umail warns that this particular vishing scam is hitting U.S. phones at a clip of between 100 million and 150 million a month. So don't press one, friends, and class dismissed. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. 
Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. I have personally been trying to keep NFTs at arm's length. Honestly, I've got a certain amount of blockchain fatigue, and the whole thing reminds me a bit of tulip madness. My own hesitation, however, in no way represents the unencumbered enthusiasm others are feeling for NFTs. So, what the heck are they, and why should you care? Our CyberWire UK correspondent, Carol Terrio, shares this commentary. So... NFTs. What the heck are they? I'm going to tell you what they are. I'm going to tell you why people are talking about them. And I'm going to tell you what to look out for. So NFT is an acronym and it stands for non-fungible token. That's right, fungible. Now, fungible refers to something that can be interchanged like rice or dollars or a Bitcoin. Trade one for another and you're no better or worse off. So non-fungible refers to something original and unique, where there's no item exactly like it anywhere else. This can exist in the physical world or the digital world. So like a digital painting or a physical sculpture. Now, a non-fungible token or an NFT is an identification of authenticity of something original in the digital or physical realm. Now, most NFTs are part of the Ethereum blockchain. For those who don't know, Ethereum is a cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin. But its blockchain also supports these NFTs, these non-fungible tokens. Whoever has the NFT certificate in their digital possession is considered to be the rightful owner of the item. And because it is on a blockchain, it can't be altered, effectively creating a kind of irreversible history. So NFTs are bought and sold much like you would buy and sell stuff on eBay, auction style right? You go to a platform to buy or sell an item with an NFT certificate. So platforms like OpenSea, Mintable, and Rarible. And then you can bid on items as you would on other internet auction apps. Some items will have a set fee and some prices can hike to dizzying heights. 
Now, currently, there's a lot of buzz around NFTs in the creative digital space, such as original pieces of music, a painting, a cool software experiment. This crypto art movement was kicked off by CryptoPunks, which is a 24 by 24 pixel art image generated algorithmically. The brains behind this is Larva Labs. They have 10,000 unique collectible characters. They are all NFTs. They have currently raised, at the time of recording, $500 million dollars. For the top one, having gone for 7.5 million USD at the time of recording. Before you get too excited about this, a few things you need to be aware of. NFTs can be stolen. The platform where you store your NFT account gets hacked. You can say sayonara to your ownership. And if someone gets a hold of your password and your username, well... So make sure you lock it down with multi-factor authentication, unique complex passwords, put every security component you can to make sure you keep it safe. And like any blockchain, they take their toll on all mother nature. The carbon output required to do all the calculations is mind-boggling. There was even an article that said Eurethium calculations required to run the blockchain consumes as much electricity as all of Ireland. I mean, think of that. But despite that, I don't think NFTs are going anywhere soon. So keep your eyes peeled and your accounts safe. That's the CyberWire's Carol Terrio. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting uh, story from the folks over at Sophos, or uh, Sophos, depending on what side of the pond that you're on. Right. Um, they uh, recently put out their uh, ransomware report, mm-hmm. uh, and there's some interesting stats in here. I, I guess some things that surprise me uh, in the way that they break down. Can you share what they found here? Yeah, this this is, there are some interesting statistics in here. One is that only 8% of ransomware victims get all of their data back after paying a ransom. Hmm. So we've been hearing that uh, a lot of times when you pay the ransom, many times you you do get your data back. Right. But this research from Sophos says, well, only 8% of people get all of their data back, which implies to me that there's some mechanism in place here that these guys are encrypting data and they're not able to recover all of it. Hmm. Uh, and that makes sense to me because these are criminal organizations that don't care about your data. If, if it's destructive and, and you lose some of it, so what? 
In fact, the average amount that people got back after they did recover, after they did pay the ransom, the average amount recovered was 65% of your data, hmm. right? Uh, 29% said they recovered less than half their data. Mm-hmm. That's shocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Another, another interesting statistic is that the price of recovering from a, uh, one of these attacks has more than doubled. It's gone from 761000 on average last year to $1.85 million to recover from a ransomware attack now. Wow. And they're saying that's because these are uh, more sophisticated attacks uh, and that they are actually becoming less frequent. So hmm. they're, it, it's like these, these uh, ransomware gangs are, are focusing more on the jobs that they're doing and not trying to to they're going for quality over quantity. Right. Right. right yeah. Uh, so they're the ransoms. We we actually had a guest on Hacking Humans who was talking about how these ransomware attackers actually do the math on your company's net revenue every year, and based on your company revenue, that's they that's how they determine what they're going to charge for the ransom. Right. So right. right. They're maximizing their profit with research. Right. They have teams of accountants in right, the back exactly. room who are trying to decide how much they should d- demand from you. Yeah. Yeah. So what is this what's the take home here in terms of you know pre- preparing yourself for the possibility of a ransomware attack given this data? Right. I I think this data lends a lot of credence to the argument don't pay the ransom. Mm-hmm. Don't pay the ransom because even if you pay the ransom, you're still not getting all your data back. Uh, there's an eight percent chance you'll get everything back. Right. Uh, that's a that's a really low chance. Yeah. And if you have good backups, th- and you can get all your data back without paying the ransom, you're you're golden. I mean, yes, you're going to lose time, and mm-hmm. that that there's still going to be a cost impact that that is going to happen, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um. But if if People didn't pay the ransom; these attacks wouldn't happen, by and large. Yeah, it also. I mean, it strikes me if you just look at the raw numbers here that you know how much of an investment would it take to to greatly lessen your chances of being hit by ransomware. And when you look at these numbers, it seems to me like it. it you can make a good case that that's money well spent. Right. right? I, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, there's something that's not really mentioned in this data. And that is we're seeing that, uh, or in this report, rather, we're seeing that these ransomware attacks are also turning into data breaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to incentivize people to pay the ransom, uh, these criminal organizations are saying, not only have we encrypted your data, but we've stolen it. Right. Uh, you pay us the ransom, we don't release it. You should absolutely not let that be part of your calculus. Uh, you, you, what, what has happened is you've suffered a data breach, period. That, that's that's all. You you have to act accordingly and and do whatever mitigation you have and notify whoever you whoever whomever data has been breached. Mm-hmm. You have you have to take care of that and you should not let that influence you because even if you pay the ransom, studies have shown that they are still going to sell the data or release the data. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't it doesn't do you any good and that data is still out there in the hands of criminals. Uh, and you also open yourself up to uh, repeat business from these guys. You, know? <laughs> right. you paid us the ransom to keep the data quiet. Now uh, we need that uh, some amount of money on a on an annual basis in order to continue to keep it quiet. So once that data is out the door, it's uh, out the door. Assume the reputational loss yep. that, that that's going to follow because you have <laughs> you can you cannot do business in good faith with criminals. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an excellent an excellent way to put it. <laughs> All right. All right. Interesting stuff for sure. Uh, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining it's us. It's my pleasure.
that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this week's Research Saturday show and my conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Erica Mitchell from the Army Cyber Institute. We're going to be discussing their infrastructure resiliency research. It's a project called Jack Voltaic. Be sure to check it out. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Filecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.